Welcome to Ahali, a series of conversations where I, Jan Altay, meet with ear-opening thinkers, artists, curators, and designers to discuss the future of cultural production. Let's start with what Ahali means. Ahali refers to a community that flows, that doesn't have boundaries, yet nevertheless producing a meaningful togetherness. It is about a culture of being together, and Ahali generates knowledge that is not fixed and always open for newcomers. So, welcome to a highly conversation. Our guest is Chus Martinez, one of the most speculative and critical minds within contemporary art and the curatorial field. She's a teacher curator and a writer who's currently in charge of the Art Institute at Fachhochschule Nordwest Schweiz, the Academy of Arts and Design in Basel. She's also the expedition leader of the current two a project initiated by TBA21 Academy. Her very interesting trajectory to this point includes many curatorial and directorship roles from Sala Recalde in Bilbao in the early days to MACPA in Barcelona, the Frankfurter Kunstverein, as well as being a core figure in the curatorial team of Documenta 13. We'll hear her discussing the possible and perhaps necessary end of the art institution as we know it, and on what can be done to imagine other art-sustaining environments, towards an understanding of art that is more in tune with the growing complexity of life, and one that is more at peace with its transformative role within this complexity. So choose. I want to start with the question of the art institution, or the institutional frame that's kind of historically rooted in the museum, and you've been, especially in the last two decades, been very much engaged in this context and practiced in various, let's say, scales of art institutions. And how do you observe its current state? And what do you think is maybe are the shortcomings of the museological context at the moment? It's a very difficult question. On the one hand, museums and art institutions seem necessary because they provide us an historical frame we are accustomed to it. We know how to behave in that environment, that on the, on the one hand. But of course, I think we can observe many structural problems already there. I think even the colonial mind found its better body in the museum, in the collection, in the keeping of objects, in the restoration, in the name of patrimonial. We have been taking the heritage of others and kind of reconducting ideas of uh, who we are, thanks to what we took from. And also the rhythm, like the exhibition making, the case, the architecture. So everything in the institutions that we inherit historically have problems, problems that are necessary. And I think that different from people that were or are interested in institutional critique, I'm interested in institutional coexistence. So I don't think that it's just a question of redefining, reinventing, redoing, rewriting. Actually, I think that parts of what they are need to disappear or are going to be going away. But on the other hand, what we need is to come with something new. 
and then to see what is taking wave, what is growing differently, you know. I'm much more interested in exhibitions in forests than in trying to produce a white cube, which is not white or is black or is just not a cube or is round or is virtual and it's not physical. I think those kinds of modifications, I don't think that they are very productive at least in a speculative thinking. I think it's much more interesting to think about something completely different and to see what we can care of and grow in a different way. And eventually, we will see what are we more interested in, what is more for us able to cope with the transformation of the artistic practice, so to say. There is obviously the colonial history, but there is also, let's say, the role of agency that has been given to the cultural sector, so to say, especially in the European context. But I've also heard you discuss this question of nature, race and gender in response or, let's say, as a departure from the museum. I mean, race and gender are very much probably embedded in the museum as a construct, but nature has been just like in opposition to civilization has been kind of constructed as a opposite to culture. I mean, not that I agree on this distinction. But I think you are completely right. But uh, we are talking these days about non-binarisms. And non-binary is not only a question of understanding gender in a more fluid way, but also of understanding the logic of the dialectical thinking and the critical mind as presented to us by modernism and early modernism from Descartes on as something that we need to completely overcome. And it's a very difficult thing to to do. But I think, let's say that the context of the South, the South as a concept of what is not Central European institutional life, we have been victims of this proceeding with models, like, you know, you repeat mm -hmm. the models you inherit, you think this is what it should be done. That's how you structure everything. But actually, we were departing from a complete different ground. And probably if we kept part of this ground, which is also historical fantasy, but we can speculate with the idea that we were able to keep some of our idiosyncrasies, then we would have already many models and different models and ways of understanding entanglement with nature, entanglement with race and entanglement with gender. But we didn't because we have been following the standard ways that the modern present to us as the right capital and cultural ways of being part of the future. So mm -hmm. we couldn't do otherwise because it seemed that it was only one future scenario and then you couldn't only participate if you kind of adapt and adopt the models that they have been already tested somewhere else. So it is interesting to invest in something else. I think for me, it's always much more interested to invest in inventing and perhaps in caring and, and in recuperating ideas and modus operandi of certain cultural contexts than contesting. So I'm never going to spend much in contesting the museum. I'm just not mm. super interested right now. I don't think it's a very fertile ground or the Kunsthalle and so on and so forth. So I do think that we are in a very interesting moment where we could invent. I think important is artistic production and where it encounters us, but also it encounters many different forms of life and it enhances very many different forms of experience. 
So to be much more productive and imaginative about the experiences in plural that we want to reintroduce in the social is for me a very important exercise. And I doubt that the museum can do it because from the beginning it excluded many social classes because at the very DNA of the museum, the class that's imposed by the state is at the center. And in the Kunsthalle, a little bit less, more expanded, perhaps less patrimonial, but also in the idea of the market of legitimizing the production and presenting mm-hmm. it to us again. So therefore, there is no much mysteries into what these structures offer to artists and to the artistic practice. But of course, it's so difficult, I think. Imagine or try to imagine new formats, not formats in the sense of exhibition making, but forms of relationality, connectivity, uh, artistic production in completely different contexts. It is difficult. But I think we, like art schools, we have been always there. And in Spain, for example, the art schools had absolutely no relevance that young artists and the production of the young new generations is super important. And on the other hand, the art schools have been always perceived as the backstage. Why? Because they are not really dealing with the patrimonial and they are not in first-hand dealing with the market, but in a completely different way with the artistic production. So we have not even taken into account into the institutional accounts Mm -hmm. of Art schools could be co-producers. They could be also co-exhibitors. They could also be event places. They could be public. But in, in many contexts, they are not. So, you know, just to name one super simple example of how the institutional systems that we inherit are very limited, I think. And therefore, we could invest in reinventing them, but we could also invest in just inventing something completely new. Yeah. But the educational context is also an institutional frame, and uh, I I would argue even one that also contests and is both facilitates artistic production, but also forms it. I mean, I'm thinking of two polarities, like on the one hand, the educational is constituting the disciplinary, both historically as the academy defining what art will be or how artistic production will be nurtured. But on the other hand, there are also potentially very experimental areas that feed into the future as well. But nevertheless, that's also, I mean, maybe not so much considered in relation to market and, uh, let's say, museum institutional frames, but the educational is, is also quite a strong institutional frame. I agree. But in many countries, for example, art academies and institutional education structures depend on the educational department. And it's interesting Mm. that, for example, the ministers of culture do not participate in their budgets. And I think they should. Mm. I think how can it be if you are completely environmental about the role that the new generations play, that the cultural ministries are really not involved into any of the funding system. And that's the first paradox for me. Like it already shows that it's part of a servicing and part of a tool that it's provided by the question of education, but is really not seen as a major contributor. And I think that already a debate there would be interesting. Yeah, now I understand the position better, I think. You have been for a while in charge of a school of such. Yeah. And from like, let's say my limited observations, I see the practical so to say, 
transversals that you are doing in the way you address the production of art inside the school and also in the ways you show art that's being produced, in the way you talk about the art that's being produced inside the uh, school. And do you want to comment on that a little bit? Yeah, I think thanks to, to a large team, I think that it's super rewarding to work in a context like the Art Institute, because apart from me, everyone else is an artist, I think from staff to students. And I, I really like that. So the idea of being surrounded by artists that do art in many different ways, is very interesting. The idea of wanting to share and being able to ask what should we open and, and then considering that the artistic community that already is finished with their studies, but maybe totally willing and thirsty for participation in several programs that we can open the doors and invite them and seeing them being there with us is super rewarding. I think it's much more rewarding me that I worked before in um, museums and I say that completely open than doing public program in the museum. Mm -hmm. Because the public program in the museum is for everyone and then there is an interested audience. But it is really incredible to see young artists and not so young artists uh, really reflecting a situation where they can come to the school and then be in, in a symposium for three, four days or in a conference or in a workshop. And I really think that this is very important because artists do need places where to connect with artists. So the most important thing we have is ourselves and the idea of staying connected, knowing what the others are doing, what they think, how they see it, is really, really a big step. And we have been seen, I think, because of the development of the art market in the last two decades, mostly, but in many countries, the outside, let's say the standard, the normal art institutions have been exclusively based on questions of selection, not only because we have been also talking about the debate and talking about meeting with each other and relating and so on and so forth, but exhibition making is based on selecting those that are worth exhibiting from those that are not worth exhibiting, even if we all know that there is so many parameters. So the art school offers a really different space in that sense, like people with many different practices that may or may not be able to be exhibited in certain institutions are totally able to participate and also see ways together of doing things. Mm. And yeah, that's of an incredible value. Also of understanding because younger generations, they still believe that certain things are because of the quality. They have an idea that is quality what's ruling, but of course we know there is so many other concerns, so many other factors that make it possible to exhibit or not to exhibit or to be represented by a gallery or not, and so on and so forth. So, And in many countries, there is no galleries. In many countries, there's not even enough institutions giving support. Therefore, understanding what makes a project possible from the words of artists themselves and what can be done collectively to make it possible, it's fundamental, I think. And on a maybe individual level, always seems to be related to the paradox of choice, meaning like you have an abundance of threads or pathways in front of you, but you have to make certain choices. But on the other hand, it's also a, the coexistence of an, the number of people and the group and the band you are with, so to say, making different choices in that regards. You touched on something that you said, like we all know it's not about quality and there are different dynamics. And maybe that also relates to this question of the temporality of choices 
of concern or matters of concern. And I mean, it's on the one hand, very timely that we are expanding the horizon, so to say, of where and how artistic production takes place. But it's also maybe crucial to invest in or think about how to maybe keep that going, keep that speculation going. Because especially, I mean, my observation is also mainly in the last two decades, and we have seen so many, I will say, trends, for lack of a better word, or hypes around certain discussions, certain philosophical positions. And it's almost like the art industry as a whole is feeding on these and enjoying this process of churning them out. Whereas there are quite essentially engaged practitioners and thinkers who are in a way invested in modes of thinking. Like how do you reconcile that dimension? I don't know if it's reconcilable. I think that many young people are completely interested in very many different things, which are not necessarily the modus operandi of traditional ways of producing exhibitions. And they are also very interested in the support of each other. They have a different understanding of empathy and collaboration. One that, of course, was expressed before, let's say, at the late 90s, beginning of the 2000s, in many ways. We have many words. We use many trends to express that will to not only do the standard, but I think still that something different is emerging in mm-hmm. the younger generation, something more rigorous also because they are very aware of the impossible thing it's i don't know if it's reconcilable or we just mm. need to grow the fields with those plants we want to be friends with i think i would not lose time in things i cannot fight mm-hmm. i understand the logics that drive the art world and i respect them because they have a reason Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that is interesting to invest in the change of the conditions because other reasons are emerging and we need to be ready. We need to get fit. We need to exercise in different ways of talking, of acting and so on and so forth. And I think it's absolutely great to do so. And we know it. We know it that there is an incredible amount of artistic communities doing incredible work that is very difficult that you would see represented in the programs. So the programs, even of grassroots institutions from big museums, are quite of the same texture. Mm -hmm. They are made of the same, let's say, DNA. But there is also other codes that we can find. And the, the problem is that money did not serve to pluralize, but the affluence of certain funding in certain historical moments, at least in the European Union, it favorized a certain way of uh, presenting contemporary art as a fantastic substance of producing a new hype and a new hope of the old continent as the producer of culture that would reinforce old ideas. So contemporary art was just like the small shadow at the peak of the big continent with incredible museums that they could completely capitalize on tourism. So I can name thousands of these dynamics, but it's important that at least for now they are suspended and it's a good time to think about other things. Yeah. And thinking about other things, is that where the horizon of the ocean is coming at play for you? Obviously there is, I mean, you've been engaged in this, I don't know what to call it, the phenomenon of the ocean. 
And I also want to hear from you, like, not necessarily how it started, but how you position the ocean and why, why you refer to the ocean. I must say that when I was a student, I was so shaped by critical theory and everything that was not kind of derivation of dialectical and Marxist theories of understanding the social and class would not have place into my education and mostly into my thinking. And um, I understood little by little how much was left out of my education or how much they were trying to insist that everything outside these parameters was not worth taking seriously. And I started encountering in my early 20s with a big skepticism, being a big cynical, talking about Susie Gablik and deep ecologists and all that as almost as a joke in philosophy and, you know, playing the smart ass and all that. But I had a doubt that I was probably wrong. And little by little, you discover that you are very wrong and that actually everything that you have been left out was the only thing that probably mattered. And everything that's in is actually not a good tool because it's based on systems of thinking that they were never ready and prepared to accept even you as a thinker, as a woman, as more woman of the South. There's no woman South philosophers, I think. is not in the annale of history. So I think that probably the peak of the doubt came when I was working with Carolyn Christoph at Documenta, and we spent so many nights talking about it and talking about like the practice of so many women artists, including the things that they thought they should include because actually nobody was watching them. And then by little by little starting to embrace it, many other aspects appear. And then after Documenta, I encountered TVA 21 and they were working with the ocean and I knew very little about the specifics of the subject matter. And again, I thought it was so inspiring to even take authors' protection, like when you encounter activists and scientists and so on. The whole thing is about rescuing and it is about, you know, the humans taking care of what they destroyed previously. Mm. And the idea of being Foucauldian and giving agency to the ocean and taking into account, uh, let's say, spiritual, if you want, position where the ocean can decide as an entity was super challenging for me and see that actually, instead of talking about art institutions, we could talk about the ocean and nature as an incredible art and cultural space. We could start the surpassing of the separation by thinking that way. So it has been really inspiring. So we have been traveling together. They were much more invested at the beginning into fostering the dialogue in between scientists, activists, policymakers, and artists. I've been during Documenta completely having incredible conversations with scientists. And I was the first one very surprised by noticing that scientists were so happy to have those conversations, that they thought that they were super goal-oriented, that they did not have enough space and partners to talk about certain things. And then, you know, everything started coming into place. I knew almost nothing about it. So it has been an incredible learning. It's like the art school. I never directed an art school before. So all these processes where you start from zero completely interest me because it... Sorry, maybe just a parenthesis. Maybe you can tell us like where this takes place. Oh, yes. I think the foundation, TVA 21 Academy, it was founded more or less 10 years ago, like the next year is their 10th anniversary. 
And they were nomadic or taking place in exhibition venues, mostly in their exhibition space in Austria, but not only in books, in conferences, and also in The Current, which is a program of expeditions where artists and um, scientists and other practitioners of both dedicated with the ocean and art uh, were traveling together and exchanging views. But since I think some years, like not many, I think two or three, they have an incredible space, which is lent from the city of Venice called the Ocean Space in San Lorenzo, which is a big church. And they have been producing exhibitions and events, and they have been more rooted into the local art scene in Venice, but not only. So that's kind of more or less how they operate. Sorry, I was trying to get at like where the excursions are too. Well, the expeditions have been mostly happening in the Pacific mm-hmm. because they have a small vessel and they it was there. And also it was a big investment in getting to know the other side. Let's see, I think it's an from the origin is an Austrian foundation and it was challenging to go as far as they could and they started in the Pacific and so on. But not only now, also the Mediterranean and the Atlantic is also playing a role and anyhow they have been doing programs. But mostly the expeditions, they were in the Pacific. No, I mean, I as far as I understand, it's more tackling the kind of materiality of the ocean and you seem to be more drawn to the idea that ocean as a kind of assemblage or like a collectivity in a sense that incorporates many living things, many entities. But I have two questions regarding the ocean. I mean, one is in a way more historical political because the ocean, especially the Atlantic and maybe the Mediterranean at the moment is also the site and the milieu of the racial divide. I mean, it's how slave trade and the detachment ripping apart of bodies from one land to another took place, the many routes, I don't know shipwrecks and bodies are still engraved and also in the collective consciousness that the the idea of the racial divide is embedded in the ocean. So that's one thing I just wanted to raise because I know you are also engaged with questions around race. And the second thing is I was thinking about this ocean and also reading and listening to your work a little bit more. And I've come to think or notice one more time maybe that our biological bodies are also oceans. I mean, we are always already interspecies. We are already becoming wit in Don Haraway's terms. I don't know how many thousands of microorganisms are together with me or which that constitute me, not even together. And the biological body is also like with microorganisms, with bacteria, with what have you, is also an ocean, not metaphorically, literally, I would argue, whereas the political body is often a much more simplified narrative. I mean, probably rightfully so, but since we cannot even fathom such a complexity, but it's kind of also links back to our conception of ourselves, our bodies, our kind, in vis-a-vis a turn of modernity, as you mentioned, since Descartes. So it's that kind of removal of certain dimensions. And maybe we are now also coming face to face with our ecological reality, even on the scale of the biological body as well. Yeah, I think it's very well spotted. To the first question, I would say that normally the way of engagement or my way is not about reflecting just myself or starting 
you know, a discourse per se, but through the work of artists. And I think that contemporary artists have been key in exposing exactly that kind of racial divide that the ocean is expressing in, in so many ways, uh, seeing it as a trading route, seeing it as a resource, seeing it as a possibility, seeing it as uh, the outer space, but inside Earth. Yeah, seeing it as an ending space still to conquer, seeing it as an answer to the dangers, like, for example, bacteriological and biological dangers as being a, like a safe bank of potential answers to what may exterminate our race, things like that. So I think that that artist has been really, really crucial to expose and to make us reflect on it. And it's kind of strange because it has not been reflected that much before, you know? It has been, the ocean appears in artistic practice. But I would say that in the last 20 years, it has been a really recurrent, incredible substance of those questions. And they have been expressing it so many ways that I think has been very productive for all of us because, as you said, we come to terms with our borders, our biological, political, racial, and understanding borders of what we were excluding because we are so territorial. We have been thinking only about the earth because that's where we can breathe. And the ocean poses a limit because we can't really not go under the ocean without gear and start breathing there. So it's not occupiable, not even in our minds. So I think that in that sense, yeah, we have been establishing science that produces parameters of equality in between us and all the animals. And then we have this pyramidal way of thinking. First is the human, then come the primates and they can also um, do certain things and they have certain skills that they resemble the human. But then very recently it has been discovered that fish can recognize themselves into a mirror. And this is already a distortion of this pyramidal epistemological way of thinking where all of a sudden there is an intelligence that dogs and cats don't possess and it exists under the ocean and already kind of changes and complements in a radical way previous ideas and so on and so forth. And I think that artists have been saying that in so many ways, but it has been always taken as fictional. Mm. And in a really interesting way, after so many centuries, even the scientists recognize that there is a part of that fiction that is kind of premonitory, that is preparing the mind for a difficult time to accept. And in that sense, art plays an incredible preparatory ahead of time sensorium towards the transformation of life intelligence and the life possibilities of entanglement. And I think without that preparation, it would be totally difficult for the human to reprogram because we are programmed to be instruments, to instrumentalize everything, to take what we need to survive. And everything would come to that at the end, because we prefer ourselves and our lives before any other life. And I think that art prepares that ground differently. That's why I think that it's not only a question of a trend or it's not only aesthetic or it's an interest that artists have. I do think that it's a true epistemological exercise that is taking into account the transformation of intelligence in the same way as scientists and technology 
are taking into account the possibility of that thing that we have right now in front of our noses possessing intelligence as well. So the artificial intelligence and the organic intelligence transformation is really an entanglement right now. And it's even very difficult to see where it's going, but it is going, it is transforming, it is moving. Yeah, I mean, we are always also bound by this, let's say the state of our epistemological tools, like our tools of knowing. And I mean, let's say the theory that essence of life is information, for example, in like scientific circles, referencing to the DNA or the firing and wiring coincides with our current age of information. Whereas in the messianization age, we were referring to our body as like almost infrastructural, like blood pumping, circulatory systems and all these kind of reference points. So in a way, the thinking is also shaping how we exist or how we form ourselves, not only mentally, but biologically, how we think about ourselves. But your call seems to be a much wider. And in the first episode of Ahali, we had Stephen Wright, and he was saying like from a planetary perspective, even if we cannot rationalize its existence, art exists for a reason. Totally. I think that art exists for a reason and not for a social class and not for taste. And I think that little by little we are getting it. That is not only a patrimonial question and it's not only a question of validating a certain class through, you know, that historical construction of art is coming to an end and it's still difficult to present it, of course, because in so many of our social structures it's still embedded and presented like that in the media in the way that we define the function of certain art institutions. But definitely the call is much wider and has a a much bigger ambition. And is it too early to ask how, at least how you envision or speculate or how you observe others speculating that this more all-encompassing mode of existing is coming or is to come? I think the collaboration among certain communities and actually the going back to certain things that were already announced into the avant-garde, but not only into the arts and crafts communities, into the artists' congress. I think the idea of connecting in an unsuspected way may provide us some of the house. It would be really interesting to open up spaces that are normally, for example, thought for children and thought for other types of the demography as interesting spaces for being also working with contemporary art and so on and so forth. I think it is really not through the channels that are through the discovery of different ways of queer collaborative enterprises. No, I think if there is some sort of truth in what we are saying, it would be really interesting to entangle and to invest in the collaboration with very young people and with children and with all the structures that are dedicated to understanding what life is and expressing its social form already from very early age. And then would be the museum is just a too late of a place for doing that. And you need to go somewhere else. I think from the schoolroom to the children museum even or to any other forms of collaboration. So I could name many, but I think that's exactly thinking differently about who are our partners and um, with whom could we actually do what we want to achieve. It would be really useful. 
Well, I mean, I can't help but fall into the linguistic trap because then I'm cycling back to what we refer to as art, even in the synchronized populations, but also historically what has been referred to as art or what is being referred to as art has transformed so much in the language and in what it refers to. But maybe there is some core that I need to also work on getting my head over, but I, I keep falling back into this, then what are we referring to frame of mind? But maybe this is a good moment to also open for questions, comments, or yeah. suggestions from the group. And Khan, I think also that you are completely right, but also probably my answer would be that we need to, only through an exercise, a really practical exercise of doing it differently, we can discover it, you know? It's not through the naming, but actually through the doing. And, and that's probably what the Ocean Project for me has been because I've never been practicing in such a way certain things. And it is interesting to think about artistic practice while you are doing diving. Mm -hmm. And it's exactly that in the entanglement of two actions that are so completely separated in our professional way of understanding things, that has been very fertile. Very interesting. If you are still formulating the questions, I can ask Choose if she has any recommendations for reading or for like, I don't know, viewing, whatever, to expand this or get a closer into this current state of thinking that you are going through or simply something that you are reading at the moment. I think that I would, if you have not go into it, it's not self-propaganda. There is a good reason. There is this series of podcasts that we have been doing together with Sonia Fernandez Pan, which is a Spanish thinker and curator and writer and a fantastic person. And with her, we have been doing this phenomenal ocean podcast series and feminism under Corona. And they are really easy to find. They are in the site of the Art Institute. And we have been really talking to many, many different voices. And I think that it's very beautiful when you learn together with you. I think I'm recommending something because I learned at the same time as the listener was learning because I did not knew what I was actually. I was not an expert in any of those matters. And I, it, it has been really super beautiful for me. And as for reading, I am lately reading Rilke. So mm -hmm. I don't know if this is something that one can recommend. But I think... Why you know, not? <laughs> why not? So... I choose, when referring to future, like I find that uh, very troubling. You, on the other hand, posit that all artistic practice is future. The course is built around, and I think it also advocates and puts in emotion through its curriculum that all artistic practice is future. So... I learned so much from the way you think about that. And uh, in a way, I engage in a silent dialogue with that opinion. And uh, I would like to know, do you keep thinking or building around that concept? And uh, how do you reflect on it, especially post-COVID-19? And I wanted to formulate the question that way so we could come to Corona Tales in a moment. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. I kind of trained myself. I think I was naming the future before in that way of critical view of modernism and also even pre-modern times, shaping this idea of an horizon line that orients everything and every historical agency towards one point, which is ahead of us, it's very kind of capital liberal way of, of projecting the present versus that kind of sky of possibility. 
I've been training myself as much as I could never mention the future and never actually referring to it and never seen art as future or never even mentioned questions like, for example, certain words like innovation or, for example, creativity and future. All these type of words, like to exclude them completely from my thinking. And I actually really don't think about it that much. I've been traumatized, I don't know, in your context. But when I was a student in Spain, everything was future. They wanted the future. The future was like mentioned in every single way of seeing art and culture as a tool of touching upon our complex of not being able to keep with the train of time. So all this stupid, metaphorical, but easy to repeat way of addressing where are we located and, and so on and so forth. So I think it's a, it's a horrible metaphor and it's actually not explaining anything, but also not even providing an image of anything of use. So, yeah, I don't know. Somebody asked me this morning, when do I think that the pandemic is going to end? And I kind of stopped thinking about that. I think I tried not to think that much of this kind of goal-oriented action, but it's fundamental right now. We are given an opportunity space to reflect upon what needs to be done different, but it's not only because of COVID. We need to do it because it has been already expressed before. The problem accelerated because of COVID, I think. Like to maybe elaborate about the curriculum, like have you built it in a different manner? Like let's say, what were the aspirations and uh, and about yes. the outcome of the recent year? Yeah, I must say that by searching for different practices or practices that have been interesting me, as a curator and asking all the practitioners to bring forward what inspired them as artists, we came up with a set of examples and people that they were fundamentally different. And that makes already the curricula different. And um, perhaps I have that idea that there is not much of a place for people like us in the already given system. So we need to really produce it if we want to exist Every day is a day of production of that space. And I cannot believe that. And I think that I am possible because of the generosity that others did have with me. And that's super clear to me that without people being super generous with me, I would not exist and be able to work. And exactly that is what I base the curriculum on. And that's what really motivates me to remain as generous so that I am able to help others to produce the space they need to be so that, that the work and the communication and the community is possible. I was hosting this feminist uh, reading group in my studio like a year ago, the pandemic, and the group kept having meetings like through Zoom and somehow the structure changed in the sense that the way we, we show up like only with names. Yeah, somehow it's like the identity and what we carry with ourselves can be remanaged. And also personalities about participants changed in the sense that when we met in reading groups and we were all like artists or curators or researchers, pretty much all the same age, but different backgrounds. What I'm trying to say is that there is a structure it's like we are carrying a structure, even if we are like meeting right now on Zoom. I don't know if I'm making sense. 
Yeah, you're making sense. So yeah, it's not a question. I, just, I was just wanting to make a, a comment like that. But I've been surprised. I think a couple of months ago, a group of young curators from Brazil wanted a Zoom meeting with me. And then I, I was like, okay, but another Zoom meeting. And then we start meeting a couple of times. The first time I was really resistant and uh, really unfriendly in a way. Needed to reprogram myself because the media I don't like and because of the hour difference is at my night, kind of, and it's their morning. And it has been so great because uh, then when we forgot about that platform, I just discovered that even in Zoom, I can make friends. And we have been just like really to, to go now to Brazil and to have contact with them and have a conversation. So I know what you mean, but it, I, I really think that that is how you use the platform and how also the platforms are programming us. And when you start forgetting about it, which is very difficult, something else can happen, which also demands an incredible trust in the group because we don't know each other. And I think it's very judgmental. It looks like a trial. I think the whole setting makes people sitting in front of you. I think looks like a jury or a trial. It does not really look like a group of friends. You know, like you need to make such an incredible effort to break the whole structure that's given. Yeah, but but I, I must say that I was surprised by this thing happening. I think it just started by uh, meeting once and twice, and then we decided to do a fixture. Now we are meeting every week, then we are working in a project, and then other people are coming. And it, it looks like, like a Zoom bar, but it really does. Like it's kind of, um, I'm looking forward to this Wednesday night meeting with them and so on. So, but yeah, it, um, I agree with you that the whole thing is disturbing. Thank you for the comment. And I have to say, your hair looks great. Yeah, like, but yours is better. <laughs> no, I can see my <laughs> This is good. I have an Italian meeting this morning, and it was like all the women in the meeting were complaining that the camera is positioned so that you always see the roots. I thought it was a fundamental conversation that uh, it was not taking place before. Totally. So I'll, I'll per- uh, continue with the personal angle, if I may. Okay. After listening to you and especially hearing how you take it seriously, the notion of art, it really affected me. And my question is, is there maybe a single artwork that's really touched you so deeply that it seeps into your practice or like how you see the world? Is there, can you point out this one encounter you had? I would say many, but particularly there is a person that for me, it's super fundamental, which is uh, John Jonas. I remember that John Michele Uba, you know, I was a young curator and then I went to the Basque Country to to do the program of a space called Sala Recalde. And then I started encountering many artists so generous. And they were like, it was very funny because every time I went, they say like, oh, you need to do studio visits to do your exhibition. So I went to the studio visit of John Mikkel and then John Mikkel said, ah, well, my work is good, but you know, it would be good if you go to the studio of Itziar Okaris because Itziar is really good, Itziar rocks. Then you go to the studio of Itziar and then Itziar says like, no, my work is very good, I show it to you, but you should also see the work of Begoña Muñoz, you know, because Begoña, wow, Begoña is incredible. I think you really need to... So I spent, you know, and you go to Begoña Muñoz and then she's saying that Ivona Amberry. 
So one day we were like, uh, we had this idea of having a dinner on Tuesdays because it was an incredible sex program in the Basque television explaining sexuality to the Basque country. And then we, like a community of artists, were watching this program and so on. And then John Mikkel said, you know what? We should go to the master classes that John Jonas is giving. I have no idea how the fuck he came for sexuality to John Jonas media practice. But we end up, I think it was in Rotterdam that she was teaching at the time. And I saw her for the first time live. And then she was you know, doing this media performance thing. And I remember that woman, not that young at that moment anymore, rehearsing one of her oldest performances where she was producing a feedback effect with a spoon and then touching the screen of a television and then recording it. And then the recording was doing a feedback with the television sound and, you know. And I remember thinking, fuck, Wow, spoons trying to communicate with a spoon, with a television, moving with a... And I, I thought like, I could express it for years and years. Many years later, I of course will invite her to documenta and so on and so forth. But still, like the whole summer, I've been in WhatsApp talking to her. She did an incredible work for the ocean space, like some sort of... Uh, and then she did it again. We produced a performance... We did it in India, in Kochi Biennial. And then she has been asked to do that performance this year in Museo del Prado in February. No, You arrive. I remember coming from Singapore. I go to uh, Madrid. And then I said to my friends, oh, there is this thing called COVID. Ah, come on, venga, choose. Don't be like that. This is nothing. This is in China. I'm never going to write. Like, as my boy would put it, tan, tan, tan. Like, a week later, it was all over Madrid. So... We go to Museo del Prado, and then John said, well, I introduced some changes, like the performance evolved, and then she had like what she called lenses, and it was like a stick, and then a round piece of cupboard. And then the projector, like imagine a theater, the projector was projecting into John, and it was projecting footage by David Gruber and footage that she took from uh, different sources of the ocean, but from TVA. And she was dancing with the ocean and so on. And at a certain point, she took that sticks and then she was like, put it in, in the projector with the effect that the projection comes much bigger. So all of a sudden we were like the whale face was just like she, John was just coming to the audience and with a fucking piece of cardboard, she make it bigger in front of our eyes. I couldn't believe it. And then I was like, you know, I just turned a little bit like super shy, thinking I am the only one like thinking that she is just inventing the wheel. And then I see the director of Museo del Prado, which is a Spanish art historian, not exactly spiritual and poetic, kind of with 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 two tears. That I was like, she did again, she did again. That's the spoon. Fuck, that's the magic of the spoon. Yes. And I thought, okay, there's nobody out of this auditorium ever gonna forget that ever. They're going to go and they're going to say, Pepe, you cannot imagine what I saw yesterday in Museo del Prado. At the beginning, I couldn't believe it, but it's incredible what this woman did. And then you try to explain what it was and it's impossible. And still you think that you comprehend it all. You have this idea, you know, when you understand mathematics, 
when you go to the sixth class and then somebody uh, gives you a mathematics explanation and you get it, and then you come home, you try to do the homework and you are unable to do it. It's exactly that feeling of you got it. And yeah, I think that certain, of course, it's so powerful that some people probably got it with drugs, but I got it with art. I think it's this idea that you just, that spoon was making noise in my head for years and years and years. And, and then I got to know her personally. And I, of course, I know that this woman is the most intelligent, articulated thing I ever encountered. And therefore, she expresses this intelligence through art. And it, it's wow. So, and it's getting better. And that's also something that impresses me that we have been shaping art as an upcoming or picking in a very early age because of capitalism. And then after that, in your mid-career, you are good for nothing. Not true. I think she was good with 50. She fucking rocks with 80. So there's 30 years of just getting better and not gaga and not anything. So <laughs> yes, I think plenty. I cannot love it more, but it's plenty like Ida Appelbrock, another woman that was like from Mars. I think like you encounter them and you have like the luxus of sharing a space with those. And then of course, everything I said, you would believe, oh yes, of course. And she's even short at it. I think, yes, there is incredible transformations going on. And these works express it. And very few of those works, unfortunately, are presented in ways that we can experience that because uh, the settings are not there and it's very complex. Sorry, I talk too much, but yeah. The answer was yes. Yeah, yeah. It's only when she was 24, that was the first time she ever experienced a fog. And that's some of the sensations you were describing was <laughs> close to what you just said, apart from the spoon, of course. So thank yeah. you. Of course, one needs to keep the senses open. You know, you need to be generous with yourself and trust it. If you just close yourself and become a cynical, then nothing is going to touch you ever. But this is also part of the decision-making process. Like if you still remain vulnerable and a little stupid as I do, or if you are just, you know, you decide that you know everything at a certain age and from then on, you just close your thing and nothing would enter. So it's... Uh, yeah. Do you think it's difficult to kind of be professional, but still keep yourself vulnerable? Are they not opposing? I, I'm not professional. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but really I'm not a professional person. I think that's what I'm saying, that I'm getting the job and I'm the opportunities out of the generosity of people that trust something that in the format is not always performing in this professional way and I never wanted to be I think there's no yeah I just don't want to be professional I, I probably can do it for a couple of days but I'm also bad at it I'm a very bad professional sorry but I got to ask choose so you say that you're not a curator you say that you're not a professional no no I'm not a professional I, I probably am a curator if I curate you know if I perform it when I'm cooking I'm a cooker I think I'm not a chef but I'm a cooker so if I curate I'm a curator and I embrace it and I love it but what I mean is that I'm not a professional in the sense that you would see in professionalism certain methods and also the adoption of a certain idea of procedere of the procedures that lead to certain goals I think 
but of course I'm, I'm I'm not stupid. I learned certain things and I can I can act professionally at certain context, but I don't believe on it so that I sustain it. It's not what sustains my life is my professionalism. No. Well, thank you so much. I was even thinking like in the John Jonas sequence, I was even thinking like editing out the whole conversation and having that as the podcast. So also thank you for the question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it was great. Have yeah. a nice evening. Un beso grande. Thank care. you. Thank you so much. Bye ciao, bye. Ciao. Bye everyone. Thank you for joining and listening to this conversation with Chus Martinez. I believe you observed firsthand how her theoretical articulations are actually formed by extraordinary experiences of artistic activity. Her challenge to the museum as a social construct and her call for thinking much wider and deeper on the potentials of how artistic production can contribute to life on this planet and furthermore her explanation of how this is actually already happening through artistic production was really inspiring. I want to thank you for joining Ahali. Make sure to check out our episode notes to find out more about the works we discussed in this episode. You can also visit us at ahali.space and please feel free to get in touch if you'd like to join our live gatherings and Q&A sessions with our guests. Hope to see you next time. 